different gravy not just another sheffer wednesday podcast i'm one of the hosts richard miller and my co-host who during last year's calgary stampede made history when he became the first englishman to ride to victory in the rangeland derby dr luke gledall how are you doing today luke <laughs> good i i think you may possibly know more about the calgary stampede than i do and i've been there on about four or five occasions i think i want to say Ah, uh, one of them taking home the bacon or the the maple uh, smoked bacon in the uh, in the Rangeland Derby, which is a um, it's a sort of horse and cart uh, horse race, and the win- winner can take over two two point five million dollars home. So I, I just uh, yeah yeah I'm just uh, <laughs> just sitting on that really yeah nest egg. <laughs> How are you, how are you coping in this uh, strange, strange world we now live I'm in? Okay, I'm okay. I don't know. Um, everyone asks how I'm doing. I'm I'm maybe joking slash half jokingly replying with keeping it together. Mm. Some somebody I emailed the other day said, "I think I'm doing all right," and I think that's quite a good response. I think that's <laughs> that's it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's all relative, isn't it? But there's I'm no definitely... there's no marker of which to compare ourselves against, is there? No, no. I'm definitely. Uh, a person for whom uh you know splitting myself off from society is is uh you know without my choice is definitely my preferred option i mean if i had if i was forced to spend time with people i didn't know that would be much much worse for me (laughs) so you're imagining kind of like the next kind of um virus outbreak but it's like (laughs) the word opposite where like you can't be on your own yes you just have to Everyone just fucking uh, sleeps in. We all just move into hostels, basically, and uh, yeah. we just sleep in like forty-eight berth rooms and stuff of other people. Yeah, when that virus hits, towels, that's going to be a nightmare. <laughs> that's going to be really difficult for me. That that situation. I'll be an extrovert's dream and an introvert's <laughs> nightmare. <laughs> that's the one that will have me sort of shaking in the corner, definitely. You know, rocking back and forth. <laughs> so uh, I'm going to. Uh, I'm going to play the drop here because breaking hoo-hoos. Yeah, there's actually a bit of news to discuss. Uh, none of it good, particularly, but um, <laughs> <laughs> there's a bit to get into. Um, so you're going to turn into John Krasinski then and give us some good news. <laughs> I've actually got the. If we've got time at the end of the show, we've got the cast of Hamilton just waiting on the line, but um, we, we'll. Uh, <laughs> You don't you don't have too much of a good thing, so they'll come in later on. It's it'll be fine. Um, so I think probably like in in kind of uh, you know if you imagine the sort of drop in the pond, and then the further away you get from Sheffield Wednesday, uh, that the, the uh, ripples are the the closest bit of news to home was the fact that uh, you know uh, obscure distant striker uh, Sammy Winnall actually has coronavirus. Uh, a, a test that he sort of took out of just out of out of interest kind of thing and uh, finds out that he's, he's got the virus. Um, so we, you know, obviously wish him the best and whoever he's, uh, he's isolating with, but it, it just shows how close to home this, this, uh, this sort of illness is getting. Um, how do you feel about the fact that sort of, 
it seems to be something that's readily available to football players, but maybe not the general public. The general public and the people, or who even are health on the frontline health workers, the people yeah. who are risking. I've heard about people, you know, doctors and nurses in the states basically making end of life and funeral plans before they, you know, in amidst, you know, amidst between their twelve, fourteen hour shifts that they're pulling, you yeah. know, and all of the all of the work and effort that goes into that. Um, it's not well. I mean. Again, you're all, you're automatically kind of focusing on the fact that I'm sure this has been the same for many of the mucho celebs who have come down with this, you know. And, and yeah. you know, I'm also curious to a lesser degree about Boris Johnson and how whether yeah. he's having any kind of um, private health care or not. Without looking into that too much, it I'm sure there's a lot of. Uh, it does seem that he's he's getting NHS treatment by uh, by and large, I, I believe. I he's gone to he... a very nice hospital, but um... sure, sure, I'm sure he has. Yeah. Anyway, sorry, that's uh, you know a lot of this is verging on very disrespectful. Yeah, you yeah. know, which is um, probably very apt for me, kind of talking and coming out with some <laughs> of these things on the podcast. Um, but I mean, I it's I'm kind of conflicted. Part of me thinks that you know it's it's I'm not particularly happy that the wealthy can afford to kind of spend money to figure this out. And another, actually, another a very very small part of me, you know, this big part of Luke's. Luke's COVID nineteen fort charts, uh, fort pie charts. <laughs> this one is I'm happy for him that he managed to, you know, like I I don't know maybe that like, maybe out. limited, you know, and then limited some of his future actions that kind yeah. of contains and stops the spread. Um, another thought part of this is like yeah, going against that kind of he has the wealth and the opportunities to do such things. That's I mean realistically. I mean, shouldn't we? Shouldn't everybody be tested? Well, that's it. it, it that's because I think it's, it's not Sam Winnell's fault that he is in a position where he can have a test. It's no, no, not it's at all. A, it's a, just an abhorrent failure of all of the bits of society that mean that you know folks who desperately need them can't have them. Um, and as you say, the, the best solution to all this is actually if everybody was able to get tested, that would be the best way to sort of handle it all. But that is yeah. so so far distant from our current situation that uh it's not even worth talking about at this point in time um so a player falling ill to the coronavirus i think quite nicely leads us on to the the sort of second bit of news which is this proposal by the efl to complete the season in the space of sort of 56 days with behind closed door games I thought the segue you were going to use was let's talk about the other virus, and that is the EFL. <laughs> either way, we can go either direction. <laughs> okay. But yes, yes, as a yeah, uh, please, please tell me more about this. Just remind me of the uh, the EFL plans. I, well, I don't know all the ins and outs of it, but it's it's basically to complete all the games that are left in the season, still have two legged um, playoffs and a final um and do all of that in a very you know as as short a time as possible and and that that they've worked out to be 56 days <sighs> to, to me the immediate problem when you see the situation so sam winnell's got the, the virus what happens if so for us that if he's the only player that's ill then okay coronavirus has had an impact on our options but not not a real impact but what if it's what if it's Stephen Fletcher, Barry Bannon, and um, Dominic Iorfa are, are ill? 
one week and what if we don't so that's the first thing is how do you maintain the integrity of a competition if a sort of international window you know international breaks worth of players disappear from a squad is there a point where you is is there a point that's acceptable is there a point where you draw a line so you sort of say well three's fine but five the game gets called off um and then if what if those players don't the other the other side of it then is the safety concerns of well you don't always know you've got the virus well, so quite a lot of people are are is symptom free particularly at the yes. start of it. so you well, can play a game without knowing you've got it and then everybody that played that game with you has to isolate so yeah i mean i guess there's a lot of questions of that and i kind of see that that was kind of going on to just the little kind of um the little sprinkle i just want to kind of put in that last kind of sam winnell thing is basically like you know if we're led to believe what we kind of understand from the experts on COVID 19 is that asymptomatic transmission is very much a thing mm. and there are people can have mild to no symptoms and then just be um just be uh spreading it around like johnny appleseed um just but I, I thought that I don't know, but then it, it brings up so many questions that hell, people like me and you are pure, you know, pure peasants in terms of knowledge and information on this. <laughs> um, but I thought they would basically look to test everybody. I mean, this was a bit similar. I, I, I have in my head that crazy. This was was it about two or three weeks ago that the was it everything's just felt such a blur in sense of time, right? Yeah. Like actually the other day I was thinking about things and then I actually had to think back in this sounds a bit self serving, but I had to think back in this podcast to what episodes we have done that kind right, of yes, like yeah, yeah. helps kind of mark the uh you know, mini milestones of time. But the the Premier League plans are basically saying that we're gonna pick a place in the Midlands it's going to be kind of behind closed doors. We're going to screen everybody going there to make sure that, you know, everybody's fine. That includes the officials and the cameramen who will come and the technical, mm. however many people you need, as well as the football playing teams and the managers and the coaching staff. I don't know. I'm wondering. I mean, that's interesting because that's the Premier League and... I think as we're often finding with the state of English football at a professional level, there's one rule for the elites and there's one rule for the uh, for the rest of the chaff. But I would have thought that something like that could be possible. Again, though, it's well. So how much testing? I mean, so you've got 93 clubs in the football league. Is that right? Yeah. So the, the, the funny thing is, I mean, we're also saying this in we're talking about this in the mentality where we're in a pond, which is still um, still kind of substantial in this world, because then we've got League One. Yeah. And I mean, we will. I OK, we can come on to this later. I saw some stats. I'll maybe do it. It's a week long segue for what we talk about next week, maybe. <laughs> um you know the the facts of the, the news about was it the average wage in the championship is about 14 grand a week and then in the league one it's two grand a week yeah yeah so that's a pretty stark kind of division of wealth from the second and third tier yeah so I, I would say so. sorry i would say those plans to test everybody for the game would be viable in the championship i think um, well, it's it's i just think those numbers grow so quickly because if you've got say 93 teams um you'd want to you wouldn't want to limit the squad people pick from so you've got a match day squad of 18 plus some extras let's say it's 25 players 
Ah. viable per squad then you've got coaching staff managers i don't know how many of those get included but let's limit it to five so you've got 93 times 30 you would also want the freedom to bring kids in as well (laughs) well so easily that's about three thousand tests just to do one test of everybody that's involved on the football side of things yeah. Um, add in, yeah, cameramen, um, officials, uh, other sort of people that need to be there, maybe sort of chairman and, and other sort of board members and things like that. I mean, you could easily be 5,000 tests. And how many times are you going to test them? So you're going to get tested every week? Are they going to get tested every couple of days? Is well, it no, be- I, I thought it would be basically like this mentality, like you would enter the bubble and yeah. then you test it on the way in. You're not going to get it on the, you know, in there. Well, you shouldn't do. I just don't know how. I mean, it's it's almost impossible to hermetically seal <laughs> five thousand people. Because <laughs> well, then there's got the people are going to have to make food for them. People are going to have to deal with like rubbish for them. Yeah, it's yeah. Just, logistically, it's it's, it's a logistical crazy. nightmare, isn't it? Really? And that's when you that's before you feed in that the kind of moral side of things. So. You know, if we're in a position where, okay, there's 5,000 of these tests happening every week to, to keep on top of it so that football can happen, why on earth, <clears throat> why on earth should those people get, you know, why on earth should 5,000 of these tests that there doesn't seem to be enough of in the country be given to this little group of people? I know there's an awful lot of money rides in on football, particularly at the top end. So you could, for the Premier League at the very least, you could make, you could sort of argue it makes a contribution to the exchequer and the funds, nurses and things like that. But it, it's a bit of a thorny <laughs> line to walk. I just... I think because the, the the other sport, the first sport that was trying to get back, I don't know how much you sort of followed this. I, I'm a fan of uh, mixed martial arts and um, in particular within that, the, the UFC, and they were trying to put on a fight uh, next weekend. Um, they picked out an Indian reservation. Uh, they'd put fighters in some kind of solitude. So they were they were in the only guests on the Indian reservation were the, the, the fighters, their teams and the people involved in the production and uh, and sort of looking after folks, the officials and medical people. Uh, but that's been called a halt to by uh, by Disney, who, who sort of run ES, ESPN Sports. And I just I mean, at some level, it was kind of amazing that they were trying to do it. And if they pulled it off, they would have obviously had a bit of a free role for audiences because we're all starved of sport. We all love sport. It's one of the things that makes life, you know, interesting and, and worth living. But I don't think I don't think sport at any cost is the way many people are wired, really. Yeah, it's well, it's so not a... But what if we go, so just one last scenario, what if we go to, so they, what if the, the very minimum, so we minimise the number altogether so that it's just the Premier League that finishes, that's where all the money is, it's where all the attention is. What if uh, Virgil van Dijk, Sadio Mane and Jordan Henderson have all got coronavirus and can't join the camp? And what if Liverpool don't win another game between now and the end of the season? So, then, lawsuits it, it, would, um, it would be hilarious. I mean, it would be, on one level, absolutely <laughs> hilarious. <laughs> well, let me, let, me first, let me first mention, as a citizen of the world, it would be hilarious. No, I'm, I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, no, I mean, it's, yeah. But everything's just becoming, 
I don't know. The you know, I think as we're wondering about the collapse of society and the yeah. you know collapse of what we know of, I found myself getting really, really irritated the other week because I saw someone on LinkedIn trying to be very positive, and I wish I could find the post because it amidst all this, it was like the economy was broken. We fixed it. I'm like, no, 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 we didn't. No, like. <laughs> I, I think that's kind of an argument from people who... So the thing I'm really struggling with a lot of this time is the fact that people don't understand that we are social primates. We need other mm-hmm. people. So these services that we have are for people to connect with people. Like we have things like bars and restaurants where it's a communal yes. thing. And those things are just gone. So we are living to cope as much as possible without those things. You know, we, we have things like, you know, obviously we're doing... Here in North America, I'm not sure how much it's the same for you, uh, fine people in the UK, but you know, there's as much, you know, there's still a few businesses open for takeout through delivery services, through the apps and stuff. And you can order pickup from there, curbside drop off, that type of stuff. Mm. Um, it's, it's a replication of something. I mean, it's still giving you the end result of food, but part of going to places and part of being there is a communal experience music festivals, gatherings, yeah. um, museums, you know, things where it's, there is actually an unwritten kind of undertone that you are doing this with other people. You are doing these things to see other people. And I guess that's another kind of heartbreaking thing about like, I, a lot of people have said, I'm not a fan of the mentality of playing football behind closed doors. Well, that's before we, uh, we haven't even touched on that, but that is a, a big issue for, for me, definitely. Which I understand. And I, it, I'm conflicted with this because I wholeheartedly agree that fans are the lifeblood of us. Like any mentality, like I think as we're finding with general, with society, with jobs that are coming up, um, you know, the people who are making the money for the billionaires are, uh, are the, the proletariat, are the workers, right? Yeah. yeah. You know, so if we don't do, if people aren't doing that, you know, if people aren't working in your local supermarket, then it's not going to fucking happen, basically. Yeah, yeah. So the, the point I think I was initially going to make, actually, sorry, it's just been a whole That's kind right. of giant, it's my Luke's Harry Maguire turning circle of thought here, <laughs> um, is the people who are really profiteering from this are the lawyers, because everything yeah. is becoming like an arms race it's becoming a proverbial arms race of lawyering up basically everything becomes a lawsuit everything becomes a litigation yeah yeah absolutely it's um i think the other thing in terms of you know for the importance of fans i mean obviously the premier league is a big driver in this so they've got the money and to an extent the efl actually is propped up by the Premier League. It shouldn't really be how it, how it happens, but you know the decision that was made in the nineties was to make a kind of boys' club up at the top for the for the Premier League, and they they are part of the football pyramid, but they are also separate from the football pyramid. So they they make decisions that don't help the FA. They make lots of decisions that don't help the EFL. Um, and I mean, they are the um, they are the Quebec of English football, aren't they? Really. <laughs> often called the Quebec of English football. Quack! Um, uh, <laughs> Quack, says the, uh, the Premier League. Um, but, uh, 
but the, the, so the Premier League actually fans don't matter because the Premier League no. the clubs make their money from their whopping great TV deals. Yeah. So the fans provide a tiny part of the income, or at, very, at the very least, a minority of the income. Everywhere else in the English football pyramid, the fans are vital, and the lower you down you go the less money there is from other sources. So it's all about fans through the gate. So finishing a finishing a season behind closed doors is sort of a technical exercise that lets us put a hat on, you know, put a cap on this season and go, okay, that's done. But it financially will be incredibly dicey for lots and lots of teams in the EFL. I mean, I know Wednesday are like 60% of their income, I think, is, is, is tickets and gate receipts. Yeah. Um, that's before you even get to the question of, well, I'm a person that's a season ticket holder. There's plenty of season ticket holders. What happens for me that I'm not able to watch the game? I mean, maybe I get the stream for free. I would have thought that would be a logical kind of progression. But it's, you know, it's an interesting... It's an interesting sort of dilemma in many ways. I know that's the very the sort of least important thing, really. In in some ways, is what you know how, where I sit with my season ticket. But there's no walk ups. There's no you know. It's all kind of it just becomes such a mess. It is. It is. And I, I as we are doing as we are talking, the same thing that X million people are doing is or you know even billions of people about different issues is everything becomes you know everything is a messy afterthought to what's going on with trying to prevent the spread of a virus which you know depressingly i kind of got the news from the um the alberta premier this week that basically he reckons that basically one in six people in alberta will be affected will be infected by the end of um summer basically as at all so even with that i'm like that's still huge i'm like i can't believe we're the, the depressing notion that, like, I can't believe we're doing all this, and that's still the end outcome. Yeah, that's well, a crazy situation, right? Um, so, to lighten the mood, shall we move on to the third news story of the week, which is less related, less directly related to to Wednesday, uh, but it's the fact that the EFL seem to have lost their um, their sort of day in court in front of the independent panel. Uh, for charges against Birmingham City and have immediately appealed against it. So in the midst of all this, clubs going bust. Um, the EFL, who set up independent panels, presumably because nobody trusted them to look after these issues themselves, uh, when the independent panel tells them something they don't want to hear, they just appeal it. Yeah, basically, we just um, we, we don't like you doing this. This is against the rules. We call this club appeals. Goes to an independent panel. The independent panel votes in the favour of the club, and the EFL say, "Yeah, but we don't like that outcome." So, and we'll have the resources to keep challenging it until they get an answer they like. Yeah. By which stage the club is screwed because they've spent all the money going through these appeal processes, and they still and they need to pay the fine to the EFL at the end of it. Completely. And um, you know, the funny thing is, I I think, and you know, hell, there's going to be. I think, as anyone can probably identify. And um, I think I'll put my hand up for this, Rich, and I imagine you'll join me. Join me in uh, owning up to our hypocrisy of this and uh, only becoming sympathetic towards other clubs' plights when we're actually in that situation ourselves. But I really feel for Birmingham. I mean, they've been put through... Again, it's. I, I think Birmingham has been the uh, the poster boy for the fact that they're always continually in the hole. I think it's like you said. Yeah. It's like you just you never you know you never dig your way out of the hole. Basically, you know. Yeah, I, you, you're you're absolutely right. I was I had very 
little interest or um, empathy for for Birmingham's position prior to this. But it feels like they are in many ways, uh, you know, the canary in the coal mine and they are that little bit further down the tunnel than ourselves. So seeing what happens to them and how they're being treated feels very much like looking into the future for Wednesday. Mm. It just feels so unfair. Uh, that they can appeal it you know um, in court cases if the state loses in court cases they can't generally have another go at it because it's not fair that the big body the you know the 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 overly resourced body if they lose the fight that's it because the little guy can't keep fighting the fight Mm. the little guy can appeal because the whole machine is set up for the for the big guy so you know the law has has recognized that there is there's an imbalance and put things in place to to kind of uh, you know lend a little support to to the to the imbalanced side in it but in this it's like the EFL holds all the cards and uh even if they lose at cards they go oh well, we were playing snap anyway and i've got two kings do you know what i mean like it's it's just and like you say they just seem to be like ravenous i don't know what what do they want birmingham city to do i don't know and then that's to kind of go back on so the from what i kind of led to believe thank you to um thank you to uh neil hargreaves at Al's talk for posting about this actually so i was about the seven point plan from the efl um so what I feel like I understand from that, which again is a summary, you know, I'm going by someone else's summary, basically. Mm. But the EFL have basically said that we are not, they are not going to Rick Parry, who's the EFL chairman. I think has previously said this. He says he's not a fan of the kind of cap in hand mentality of going to the uh, Premier League for yeah. payments to help subsidise lower lower league football. Um, but he said that basically they can get that 125 million pounds which maybe in the grand scheme of things is still, you know, a little bit of a drop of ocean, but hell, it's a big chunk of change. Yeah, um, yeah. They're not going to use that. And they're also not going to, um, they're still going to go ahead and look at financial fair play during this season, which is just absolutely madness considering what's happening. And I think the Daily Mail were reporting the fact that there's about, they estimated prior to this that about next season, five to eight championship clubs would be looking to be foul of financial fair play unless they sold players in in June, which is what they were essentially planning to do to help fend off, keep the FFP walls from the door. So how's that now going to look with any kind of further kind of collapse with the money-making machine? Now that, you know, sorry, I know I'm, I'm smattering a lot of news pieces in <laughs> all of this and what we're saying, but like the Premier League are getting advance on the TV payments. Yeah. You know, and there's been a whole argument about furloughing staff and about Spurs and uh, what Daniel Levy's been doing. And someone made the fine point saying this isn't for the elite. This isn't, you know, this isn't a scheme for you to do such a thing. But all of this just makes you think how precarious and fickle finance and football are, considering the fact that we feel that all of this, the mentality, I think that from all of this, I should think, you know, the Premier League should be flush with cash. But they, lo- I mean, almost every club loses money every year. Yeah. It's wild. Yeah. I, I, I just, you do think like, you know, so the Birmingham situation is one thing in particular, but, you know, looking at that, as you say, that decision from the EFL, just taking it on the face of it, you just think it's, it's like they're unaware of how the clubs that are under their jurisdiction run yes yes it's 
it's so so strange um but that, that you know the birmingham situation so the way that clubs are penalized is fines and point deductions so a club is losing money so what you do is you take more money from them and a club is losing money so what you do is you hurt their position in the league so that hopefully they go down I mean, presumably that's the point of a points deduction. Mm. Or they certainly can't go up. So their, their, their access to resources that could save them and balance their books um, is, is reduced. It's reduced, just, yeah. So I'm just like, well, what? I don't think, you know, obviously that it'd be bizarre to help people who are in trouble, in, no. have got themselves in trouble. But I, I just don't know what the end game is. So Birmingham get relegated. That's what the, the, the EFL want to happen because they, they need to serve time for their crimes against football, um, against bookkeepers. Um, you know, they have thumbed their noses at the accountants of this world and therefore deserve relegation and a big whopping fine. And so next year they make even less money. And you can't, it's not just as easy as clearing the books because you can't just get rid of players. You can sell players, but only sell players if people want to buy them. And as we know with the Jordan Road situation, you can also be in a position where even selling a player is actually financially worse for you than keeping a player on the books. So I just don't know. It's a never ending cycle. Once you get into this spiral of it, there's no way out mm-hmm. unless you go bust. Mm-hmm. It's like they are encouraging clubs to go bust, reform and kind of start again. Because yep. otherwise you're on the hook forever to the EFL. Mm-hmm. Oh, crazy, crazy stuff. Um, <laughs> we could talk about this forever, I, I imagine. <laughs> <laughs> but we have planned a feature for today. Would you like to talk us through it, Luke? Sure. So as we're coming into, as we are now in Easter, uh, what better to kind of segue this kind of uh, Christian tradition that we have within our Western societies, even though we may not actually be Christian ourselves, um, with looking at the notion of rebirth and what are basically three things that Rich and I, we have our own free choices. We're not sharing them between us. We won't fight over the third one. Don't you worry. Um, what are the what are what are the three things, Wednesday things we want to see reborn? And for each one, we're also going to do a fun little comparison to what delicious chocolatey Easter egg would it be? Lovely stuff. Do you want to lead us off, Luke? What Luke wants an Easter rebirth of numero? We're going to do one each. Uh, pass it back and forth that's what we're gonna do yeah we're gonna tag it i'm gonna do a little the little easter rebirth rap battle perfect boy richie miller (laughs) well luke wants an easter rebirth of numero uno remember players in the middle of the park who didn't require a standard stair lift when megson took them to the top of the cop i think i do but it's been a long time and would like jesus to come out behind his cave and bless us with a play with a mobile and decent grip on the action I don't require someone like Carlton Palmer, but imagine Joey Pelopessi with the muscles of Joey Pelopessi and the rest of him being replaced with a footballer competent for the second tier of English football. Imagine if they had some athleticism and not in their late 20s and had seen a ball enough to pass it better than all of our players, with maybe the exception of Bannon. Can I dream? I believe so. My Easter egg comparison with this um, with this mythical player is a Cadbury chocolate egg, deliciously hollow with a modest amount of mini eggs inside. Realistic and within our price range and should not be a thing of the past. Lovely stuff. My my first uh, element of rebirth is uh, is excitement. Someone to not only make us excited as fans, but uh, for that excitement to be rewarded more often than it's not. I think we talked a little bit last week about Jermaine Johnson, and I think he was a man that actually more often than not delivered on on the promise. You know, he got us excited, he got us out of our seats, and produced a good amount of goals to back it up. 
At the moment, we've got players in the squad who make us excited but fail to deliver on almost every occasion. I'm thinking of Fernando Forestieri. I'm thinking of Calvin Kadeem Harris, uh, who, you know, for all his sort of trickery and, uh, and, and hard work, almost every time he takes a shot, it goes miles, miles wide. So my hope for, is for that, for that excitement and for consistency in that excitement. And my comparison is uh, an orange Smarties egg. You think it'd be too much of a good thing, but actually, it's great. <laughs> excellent, 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 excellent. <laughs> My second thing is uh, movement. So one thing I'd like to bring back from Beyond the Grave is movement around the pitch. How about players moving around the pitch and improvising how they can move to support the shape of the team? What are radical concepts of players moving into space, moving to cover each other, exploiting space with confidence? Imagine this. Players act like it is your home but not your home during the quarantine. Maybe treat it like a palace where you can stride around majestically and purposefully with a few ounces of swagger put in your pomp. So my Easter comparison with this is uh, my eldest brother once got a Kit Kat chunky egg, which came with a mug. Um, now, this mug was a bit of a special mug, let me tell you this, Rich. So it had a Kit Kat chunky spaced hole to slip in your bar so oh. it could warm through the chunky prior to dunking in your hot beverage of choice. So... Personally, I'm not a fan of dunking, but I have to applaud the sheer triumph of design. Something brilliantly and obviously designed, just like the concept of players moving around the pitch and not being (laughs) static pedestrians. (laughs) Lovely stuff. Um, My second one uh, would be the the rebirth of force, or in particular, enforcing. You know, it's sort of a, a bit of an echo of your midfield option, but someone who loves a good hard tackle puts himself about a bit, decent height, can actually win a header, but not silly fouls, not a liability, not someone that you sat kind of biting your nails, worrying about them. They they put in good hard tackles, but the emphasis is on good, driving the team forward. Uh, and as I say, not, not sort of being a constant worry, just being a, a reliable source of inspiration. Uh, my egg comparison is a Yorkie egg. It's not for girls. It's chunky. <laughs> It's satisfying. <laughs> but in, at, at the heart, it's plain. Excellent. Excellent stuff. <laughs> but who's your third and final revelation, revelation, I guess? So I want a second coming of Jermaine Johnson. <laughs> Maybe instead of the next outlay of transfer fees, we can look into making JJ come back and upgrade into a bionic man. The 350k man, perhaps? The 350k being used exclusive one-off payments and installments in whatever we can fix them up with. I brought up JJ as I think we missed some of his electric pace. And a ball carrier as good as he is as well. Yeah. I think that's something. Yeah. So the delight of his mazy dribbling at top speed is something I've missed greatly. Like a Pez 6 play with little quality other than doing 0-60 to in frighteningly quick times. <laughs> um, while I like our wing options, I severely miss seeing a player burn a bunch of other players for pace. The delight of his 100-meter uh, sprints on the wings at Hillsborough. Yeah, yeah. And the Easter egg comparison. So something flash, exciting, yet comfortable. So I'm thinking of like a classic and dated-looking Mars Easter egg with a couple of bars and a mug and a gold-wrapped egg. Nice. Classic, exciting, yet homely stuff that takes you back. <laughs> Superb. Um, my final one is, uh, is leadership. A leader at the back. A rallying point. Stand up and be counted. Do or die. Um, you know, I just don't think there's anybody that talks enough. I want to hear yelling. I want to see people not bent double sort of lay, you know, sort of giving blame out to people, but actually instructions and telling people where to be, what to do. And if they're not applying themselves, give you know, giving them what for. Uh, 
something that we just completely lack. That we're, The team is far too quiet. Good teams have leaders all over the pitch. We've got no leaders anywhere on the pitch. And in particular, our captain in Tom Lees is awful at this. You never, ever see him talking to anyone. He just cowers and then makes mistakes. So um, the comparison to a... <laughs> to an Easter egg, I said. Conversely, to the no frills nature of their play, in Easter egg terms, they are the bougie, expensive centerpiece that the rest of the Easter detritus is arranged around. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. Oh. What was that detritus? What did you say? The other Easter egg detritus. Yeah, the the, the other Easter Easter detritus is arranged around. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> so, inspired by Easter, those are our, our sort of hopes. We we both picked three uh, suggestions based on uh, the three days that Jesus spent in the tomb. That's all, I hope that was obvious from the outset. Um, but whether you're a religious person or not a religious person, you know, hopefully you've managed to get some chocolate into your house, whether it's been delivered by somebody or you've, you've gone out and got it yourself. What's your sort of Easter egg situation, Luke? But, you know, when, when we're just in the build up to this, I was just like, I should have acted ahead of time and ordered, ordered some imported British chocolate. Oh yeah. Because, uh, the grim situation in Canada is, so basically I'll just give, um, where it lies in the kind of North American chocolate landscape. <laughs> basically Canadians are very proud that, it's not basically the entirety of, of uh, it's not just like the States in which they have a lot of tasteless waxy stuff. See, <laughs> see Hershey's, even yeah. though I quite like the Hershey's white chocolate, which has never been oh, okay. the cookies and cream. I quite like the cookies and cream. Okay. Hershey's bar is quite good. There have been, I think I like the white um, Hershey's kisses. Nice. But it, okay. again, I think I've tried either of those, but Hershey's milk chocolate definitely tastes a bit of sick. It is a bit sick-like, isn't it? Especially yeah, compared yeah. to some of the, the UK stuff. They're very proud in Canada to have Cadbury's. However, Cadbury's isn't as good as it is in the UK or okay. Ireland or Australia, from what I understand. I've had some stuff from Australia and it was quite good. Okay, It's this weird mentality of like, oh, it's better than what you guys... Because I, I guess there's this whole kind of back and forth with the um, the the whole American warring with the Americans and a bit of joyful fuck you at the border type of... Uh, Yes, okay. rod, even though you know we're incredibly dependent on the americans and uh <laughs> so much of the population is uh near the border because uh it's uh it's a cold place ladies and gentlemen mm. and so we're kind of the kind of people are kind of proud of that though some of the cabris isn't particularly good it's okay we have some different kind of brands of stuff they do one called mr big which is like okay. it's like a lion bar but it's not actually the chocolate's kind of like a dark toffee. Okay. It's not actually kind of like I guess like a lot of chocolate isn't really classed as chocolate because it's not proper chocolate. Okay. You know, it's like you kind of call it a candy or a sweet or something. Yes, you yes, candy, fla- uh, chocolate flavored candy sort of situation. And if it had actual chocolate, it could be quite good or milk chocolate. Yeah. Uh, another thing I actually want to give a shout out to is a coffee crisp. Oh yeah. You a gentleman has had a coffee crisp before. Yes. And as I've compared it to, I, I had one. I'm not a big coffee guy. I don't like coffee flavor. But coffee crisp is very good, I will it say. Is. And um, it's a bit like a coffee tonics caramel wafer. Yes. Which now really makes me want to have a tonics. But basically, to 
I did also one time bring a bunch of chocolate over some of my old work colleagues in the previous job. And one lady exclaimed to me that she said the chocolate tasted so alive. Wow. So that probably kind of gives you a dimension of how it compares to UK stuff. So I, I miss... Yeah, I miss, I miss the junk food in the UK. The junk food is incredible. Like, it's some real top quality shit. When I've spent a long time in uh, North America, do you know the one of the... So I don't think... I, I miss sort of... I, I'm a I'm quite a sweetie fan. Like, I like Haribo and I like mm-hmm. sort of gummy type sweets. There's mm-hmm. nothing that's kind of like a mix of things like a like a bag of Haribo. So that's a that's a bit of a miss. And I, I also don't... I think they do like sugar coated, but they don't tend to do sour as much as us in their sweets. They don't know the sour's not quite there. Yeah, and so I miss that factor as well. Although I do like, um, you know, kind of a, a peach ring or a, an apple ring. That's a fairly good gummy mm-hmm. uh, sweet in, in, that's available in America. I've got an Easter egg from my my lovely mother. She sent she sent one down um, and. <laughs> I got sent some money for, from my uh, my grandparents to, to buy myself an, another Easter egg, but I, I'm probably not going to spend it on an Easter egg, Luke. Oh, oh yeah. that might go on something else. I did. A, I managed to get an order uh, delivered from a, a supermarket this week, and um, it was sort of I had uh, almost a week to keep adding things to it, and I just kept thinking of vital things that had to be brought to the house um it just got ridiculous <laughs> i think i went on about five five different times to just add and tweak things but my so my house is absolutely groaning with um things that are not particularly good for me sweets and crisps and biscuits so it's uh, i'm in a good spot snack wise although easter egg wise i'm, I'm a little bit bereft <laughs> well um yeah, wherever you are and whatever your your chocolate egg situation is, we hope you uh, enjoy, uh, indulge a little bit, and uh, we'll we'll uh, we'll talk to you again next week. Cheerio. See you guys. See bit of prior warning for folks the idea for for next week luke is is that we'll watch sunderland till i die on netflix it's indeed yes we'll uh, look over it and give our uh, full review of the cast and characters and what happens from uh, another landmark sunderland season from 2018 to 2019 <laughs> yeah so if you want to sort of join us in that feel free to, to watch season two ahead of time and we'll, we'll get into it in detail next week